peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. It's uh, the weekend, so we're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Acts. First time ever that we're reading this together, uh, and we made it to chapter 4. If you're reading along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. So the people who we're talking about are two of Jesus' um, original disciples, the original 12, these are two of them, Peter and Simon Peter and John, the same John who the book of John, the Gospel of John is named after. Um, that's who we're talking about. The people who are going, running up on them are the Sadducees, that's the religious leaders of the day. Captains of the temple are the governmental authorities that are working with the religious authorities to seize the disciples. Verse 2, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So the issue that they're being basically arrested for, seized for, detained for, run up on for is Christianity, the, they're preaching Christ. Verse 3, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So um, the disciples were arrested. It was already evening, meaning it was already a midday uh, by the society's standards that the religion Jesus was even born into were living under at that time. A new day began as the sun set, rather than in modern times, a new day beginning when the sun rises. <clears throat> Excuse me. So them being locked up right then, um, arrested, even if they arrested before the sunset, counts as a day. In the same way you can count Jesus' death on the cross as one day, him being taken down from the cross and then uh, before the sunset. But then while, by the time you sun, the sunset that same day is already the start of day two. So um, if you're trying to figure out how to count the days between the death and resurrection as we Christians believe it to have occurred. Um, so anyway, um, that's why they're mentioning the days here, I believe. Um, but they're being arrested. Verse 4, however, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So the disciples are clearly much more persuasive than I am. They've uh, rounded up thousands of people during their ministry and their ministry in earnest that we're talking about now it's basically since jesus resurrected and ascended so this is when they've taken the main stage in spreading the gospel very new to them being on their own without jesus physical presence verse five and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers elders and scribes so now the people who are in authority the next day Verse 6, as well as, uh, well, before we move on, a new group that are in power are mentioned here, the scribes. So we know about the um, uh, the rulers, that's sort of the ones who are behind the arrest, the governmental officials, the religious officials, the elders. So these are the old folks who know what's happening because they had their hand in it for a long time. And the scribes, that's the people who, in modern terms of my mind, are the mainstream media, the ones who are keeping note of it all, right, writing it all down, scribing it literally um, for the times to keep it uh, a narrative of what's going on. They've all gathered together the next day, verse 6, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. So um, some people by name are being gathered together. And if you want, you, like I said, if you are a person who believes the names are significant what, as far as what their translations and meanings are, the site I recommend, there are many that are free and good that I'd recommend, but the one I know by, you know, as the jingle in my mind, because it had a good name, it's called BehindTheName.com. Um, I think it's a .com if you want to use it. And you can search yourself and see what different names mean. Um, um, but these are the people who are gathered together by name, it seems. In Jerusalem, same Jerusalem that exists in modern times. Verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, 
by what power or by what name have you done this? So they're confronting the disciples the same way, similar to the way they confronted Jesus. Not because he robbed somebody or beat somebody up or had an insurrection at the Capitol or killed someone. They're not rounding them up for any of those sort of things. They're rounding them up for uh, healing and preaching. Jesus, that's what they're rounding them up for. And they're asking them whose name it is they're giving credit for the healing that you that they are credited, that people have witnessed them perform. We read about it in the previous reading, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. So now this is Simon Peter, the same one we talked about earlier, the disciple. Um, and the narrator here of Acts um, is letting us know, I forget. Don't even I know if do we know who is writing Acts? I think it might be Luke, but I'm not gonna say that that's who it is for sure. Um, but he, whoever it is is letting us know that Peter is um, now standing up. You know, I'll look real quick because usually it's at the beginning of the book. So let me look and see who it, it's named, who's writing the book of Acts. Let me see. So. So I actually don't see that the name of the author of the book of Acts is named, but either way, whoever it is, is now about to give us Peter's basically answer. He's addressed to the people, and it starts with the rulers of the people, verse 9, <clears throat> excuse me, and elders of Israel. So Israel is the same Israel as in modern times. It's talking about the collective 12 tribes, not any one or two particular tribes, but both kingdoms combined together as one, all 12 tribes. Uh, verse 9, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? So Peter is saying if the problem is that they did something good by helping someone, verse 10, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. So the disciples are saying, well, if you're wondering whose name it is we use to perform this miracle, you already know the name. It's the same person you killed, the one you crucified. So everyone could see he was hanging on a cross. Um, who's also resurrected, whom everyone saw walking around here among them again, even after the crucifixion, uh, known as the resurrection. And then later, as we read the ascension, not just the disciples witnessed Jesus alive after the crucifixion during those 40 days. He appeared by other accounts that didn't make it into the Bible, other scripture, as it's called, that didn't make it into the Bible. Um, witness uh, showing up again and again and again, and I think even performing more miracles. Um, um, maybe we'll read that at some point once we get through these last books, God willing. Um, so anyway, um, there it's common knowledge is the point. Verse 11, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. So part of the next part of what Peter is saying is a quote from um, um, the book of Psalms, which we haven't gotten to yet here on our readings. But um, the book of Psalms, Psalm 118, um, verse 22, is what Peter is telling them is being fulfilled. He's saying that the things they did to Jesus in rejecting him, even though he only did good things, only said good things, didn't hurt anyone, only helped everyone, um, are the fulfillment of what we call the Old Testament prophecies, namely, specifically, uh, beginning with, because I have a feeling he's going to probably bring up others as we keep reading, um, fulfillment of prophecies from the Old Testament done and performed and fulfilled manifest through Jesus' ministry. Verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So um, first thing to notice is none of this is red letters. So it's not Peter repeating or quoting anything Jesus said. So 
even if it sounds good, and even if it's true, keep it in mind, I would suggest that it's not gospel, it's not written letter, it's not something Jesus said, because if it's like, like Jesus tells us, a little bit of leaven, if you just let a little bit of false teaching or even mistaken belief get into what is the actual truth, it's easy to let that grow and take over what is actually true and what faith and reality of the gospel is. In the same way as if you're breaking baking bread, it only takes a little bit of leaven to make the whole loaf rise. Excuse me. The point of, I think, what Peter is saying there um, is that for salvation, as we believers believe it to be, the only way is Jesus. Jesus himself tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That doesn't mean everyone else who does, is not a Christian um, goes to hell. That doesn't mean that at all. That just means only way, the only way to God Almighty, the Father, is through Jesus. So that also lets us know not everyone who dies gets an audience with God. Jesus lets us know specifically in the Gospels that the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. So that's another reason to me, the whole theory or idea of belief of, of the whole great white throne judgment that emerges in Revelation out of nowhere. Because it's not anything Jesus said in any one of the four Gospels, but it emerges by someone, whoever authored Revelation, um, which seems to be a hybrid of someone's understanding of the Gospels and understanding of the Old Testament, as we call it, and the prophets. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they're sort of amalgamation of what they believe um, the end times and those prophecies all come together to mean. That's what the book of Revelation seems like to me. Um, that's just my opinion. Uh, whereas the Gospels are consistent about basically all the other details as far as what Jesus actually said, the red letters. So I personally, again, just keep that in mind as we keep reading. Um, to know the difference, because that's what the will of God is. Jesus tells us in the only two places in the whole Bible what the will of God is. And for us Christians, that should be significant. And that's to know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Again, for me, that boils down to, did Jesus say it or not? And if he, if he said it, it's Christian. If he didn't, it's not. And that's basically how, in my mind, we can understand what it is Jesus and God, by extension, would have us know uh, righteousnesses and the path to righteousnesses. And that's not the entire Bible. That's the red letters of the Bible. Moving on. Verse, and that points to, to me, what Peter is saying there, even if he's not using quotes of Jesus. That's what he's saying there. The only way to get to God is through Christ. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. So they're wondering, how do these two yokels know anything about the higher things and salvation and God and anything like that, since they're uneducated? So they're wondering, what's up? Who are these people? What do they know? And But they at the same time, they recognize they've also performed miracles, or at least a miracle. So they're wondering, they know they have at least that authority. Um, on their side. And then they recognized, oh, they actually walked with Jesus, that one who they did kill, verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. So no matter what they felt in their hearts um, and wanted to do, the proof was right there in the pudding and right before their eyes that Regardless of how they felt, the man is healed, and the people who did, who were responsible for helping accomplish the healing, give the credit to the one you killed, Jesus Christ, the Savior. Verse 14. 
excuse me, verse 15, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. So they couldn't clown them openly in front of everyone because the person had obviously been healed. Uh, so they say, give us a moment to get it together. And they shoot everyone away so they can powwow and have a council. Verse 16 saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. So they're saying, how can we still get them since the thing we want to get them for is clearly a good thing to heal somebody and everyone can plainly see it. Um, so, But how can we still hem them up? Verse 17, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak no to no man in this name. So they're saying they can't um, do a death penalty since they have the authority of the government behind, you know, on their side. Um, so in modern times, they, you know, they just plan a hit. They send the police most likely and kill them and say something happened along the way and then it'd just be yesterday's news. Um, back then, they uh, hadn't progressed to doing it quite the way we do now in modern times, at least in America. So they're figuring how can they do it and avoid as little backlash as they can. So they figured they'd make threats. They let the disciples know that they can't preach Christianity as we'd say it in plain English now anymore. Um, verse 18, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. So they're, um, they let, brought the disciples back to them and they let them know what their verdict is. That one, they can't preach Christianity anymore. They can't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. That's number one, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than the God you judge. So the disciples, um, at least one of them, Peter, uh, but and John is answering with them. They're answering um, in um, solidarity that there's um, a higher power who's a judge um, higher than theirs. That'd be God. So let God be the judge, whether it's more righteous to do what God says is right or to follow what they say is right. Verse 20, but we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So the disciples are saying the only thing they're doing is preaching the things that they've seen and heard. They're witnessing. That's all they're doing. Just like Jesus says, we speak what we know, uh, but you do not accept our witness back in John chapter 3 during the Gospels. Um, so that's what the disciples are doing. They're basically just witnessing. Um, and that's what's their condemnation, that's what they're being condemned for, the same way Jesus was condemned for his witness. Um, verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. So they still wanted to punish the disciples, but because they had the people on their side, the disciples were released. Verse 22, for the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So it was a grown man. It wasn't some little kid who could make up stories. It was a grown man, so clear, and who they also probably most likely knew um, needed help because he was a beggar. And they probably stepped over him regularly and couldn't help him at all, but he received healing, notably through the disciples. What happens next? Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So the disciples are freed. They return to the other disciples and they told them what happened. Verse 24, so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
So the disciples are glad that their brother, brothers are released, brethren have been released, and rejoin them in freedom. They're praising God. Um, more. Um, I'm gonna just check and see um, if there's any difference or what the actual translation. Because remember, the New Testament is originally translated, or at least as we know it, translated from Greek to English. Let me see. So here, Lord is um, in Greek is the word despotes, I guess. But no, you know, rather than gets, it turns out there's a tool. This is how it's pronounced in Greek. Lord, Lord. Strong's G, 1203. Despotes. Despotes. No credit of mine. That's the blueletterbible.org website. That's um, a, a tool that they make available. Um, yeah, um, and so I found it useful here that I'd share it with you um, if you hadn't already discovered it. Um, so anyway, I didn't mean to distract you. Back to where we were. So despotes, that's how you say Lord in the Greek. Despotes, that's how we say Lord in the Greek apparently. And this is how you say God in the Greek. Strong's G 2316. Theos. 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 That's how we say God in the Greek. So, um, and that's most likely how people were saying it at the time of the translation of the, um, and Jesus was speaking Aramaic, most likely is what historians believe. So the way he would say God is um, even different than that. But that's a whole other side thing. Don't mean to get distracted. Back to where we were, verse 24. Yeah, but there was one more thing I was going to mention about that. So I'll try to remember that when we get to the end of this reading. Um, back to verse 24, they're praising God. Theos um, in the Greek is probably maybe uh, how people used to say it. Or despotes, the Lord, uh, also in the Greek. I guess we're going to learn a new language together a little here and there. So anyway, Lord, despotes, God, Theos. Uh, is who they're praising or what they're saying to praise God um, as what they're doing in praising God. Uh, that the disciples were released and they're back together again. Verse 25, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? So before we keep reading, what the disciples are doing here is believing that, well, first what they're doing is first going to introduce another passage of verses that are quoting what we call the Old Testament. It's um, um, something David that, um, from the Old Testament, the King David, something he was a credit that he they that they believe he wrote because he's accredited with the Book of Psalms, or at least many of the books, chapters, Psalms in the Book of Psalms. Why is a mouthful? Sorry. So uh, what they're about to do is quote uh, from um, what we call the Old Testament. So rather than stop it verse by verse and go through it, we're going to just um, read the next group of verses um, and then we're going to go back over it um, as to what I believe they mean to me um, and my understanding of them. Because it'll just make more sense and flow better the same way the Psalms do when we eventually, God willing, read those. Um, so anyway, um, this is the disciples saying that all this turn of events um, is... Uh, the fulfillment of different prophecies and specifically these prophecies that were written by King David. Um, and we're going to read them now at the beginning of verse 25. I'm just going to read through them, like I said. So verse 25, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, and here's what he said, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So um, it was just two in this case. So um, what the disciples are saying, though, is they believe Psalm 2, um, verses 1 and 2, are being fulfilled by what the rulers, their rulers, did in crucifying Jesus. And their, their opposition um, to what Jesus was doing is the people plotting 
something in vanity, something that will end up um, being useless, uh, be a way, being a waste of time. Um, and what they did was trying to stop the message of Jesus and his ministry, when in turn, what they actually did was fulfill what he came to do, um, give up his life, offer himself in some spiritual, big picture way as a sacrifice to God because God loved the world that much. Not the people in the world necessarily as we read when we went over John chapter 3 and specifically that passage around verse 16. Um, but not God's love for the people in the world, but love of the world itself. And like we went over before, I believe that to be something like the way we may love a favorite video game or a favorite movie series or a favorite podcast or a favorite entertainer or as we've seen in modern times a favorite president who has a cult following willing to completely ignore facts and the truth even if it's right there in front of them even if you even if they see it and hear it for themselves him saying one thing and saying something else that completely completely opposes it right beside each other, still find a way to justify him, that sort of thing. Um, it's the same thing. It's um, the people plotting something in vanity. Um, and they thought that it would accomplish something, but in reality, it accomplished and fulfilled. It was the crowning moment of Jesus' ministry is what the disciples are saying is being accomplished there. One other thing before we move on about translations you see here, uh, this is an instance where Lord is being translated, um, I mean, being used in all caps in the New Testament. We see it plenty in the Old Testament. But here, first we see it being used in, um, low, in with a capital L and in lowercase o-r-d. And from there, it's being translated um, as from the word kyrios um, in the Greek um, you don't have to take my word for it. Let's see if that's how it looks like it's what pronounced to me. Here's how it's pronounced according to what's available to you if you want on the blueletterbible.org website. Strong's G 2962. Kurios. 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 That's how you say Lord with the capital L, lowercase o r d. Um, the way you'd say Lord if you were talking about God in plain English, the way you'd say Lord if you were talking about God um, and writing something now, but the way it's written um, in capital L-O-R-D. Uh, oh, interesting. See, I, I'm using a New King James Version Bible, and in it, when they're quoting the Old Testament, if you look in the Old Testament, it's capital L-O-R-D. Um, and it usually is pointing to, and not always, but almost always pointing to one specific entity uh, represented by the YHDH uh, letters, the tetragrammaton, I think it's what it's pronounced. Basically, in a nutshell, talking about God. Um, but we went over all that too. If you want to read it yourself along with us in context, you can see it. Just do a search of the naked truth readings here. Look for the one titled God's name. It's very recent. Um, but notice here, it's the New Testament. So when they quote something from the Old Testament, it's in those all caps referring to that same entity that they, uh, one of, that they worship then um, in the Old Testament. But in English, even being translated there, it's being translated just as the Lord. Um, uh, as you think of it to know that it's talking about God Almighty, at least that's who it's believed to be referring to. At least that's my understanding of it. Moving on, verse 27, for truly against your servant Jesus, whom you appoint, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. So they're calling to mind the fact that they all, they not all, but the people collectively rejected Jesus. The governmental authorities did, the religious authorities did. They teamed up together and rejected the Savior. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. And that would be the crucifixion. They plotted together, teamed up together, and 
took Jesus' life, thinking that they were doing it against him. But as Jesus said, uh, he's laying down his life. No one's taking it from him, but he lays it down of himself. He has power to lay it down. He has power to take it again. And he did it because that was the command he received from God, our Father. Um, verse 29, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. So the disciples were saying, praying that God notices and looks on it and takes action against those who are taking action against them, that God works on their side, on their behalf for them. And that's a prayer I'd recommend as well, that don't take vengeance on your own. Don't take it into your own hands. At least that's what I try not to do. Instead, pray about things when people opinion on you. People obviously do you wrong. They do things to you that they wouldn't done, done to them, want done to them. Um, then don't take it in your own hands. Instead, leave it with the Lord. As hard as that is, sometimes sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes people physically take a bite to you and you have to do something physical. Or at least it seems that's your only choice to respond. But in general, when people throw you hate, if you can, I'd recommend turning every cheek. Verse 28. To do whatever your hand, okay, so verse 29, sorry. Now, Lord, look, oh, so we pre, we talked about that one too. He's, they're praying that God notices and takes action. Verse 30, by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they're praying that the um, actions that they do are even more powerful and miraculous and attributed to Jesus that their ministry continues. It's a wonderful prayer. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with the word, spoke the word of God with boldness. So the narrator here is saying in that moment, there was basically an earthquake and in that moment, the disciples, everyone gathered together there was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we read again where, I mean, read previously um, in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit uh, arrived and appeared, uh, made a physical appearance to the people in the form of a flame. Um, and here it seems it's an earthquake happening and the people present are, were, were filled with the Holy Spirit and um, went forward with boldness, as it says. Verse 32, excuse me. Um, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that anyone, that any of things he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. So we read about that previously. It's uh, bemoaned and demeaned and de de demonized among the so-called Christian, they're not actually, evangelicals in America, the Bible thumpers who uh, call communism an evil thing and they act like capitalism has been so successful for everyone. And they don't even talk about, touch on the fact there's a huge wealth gap, not just between black and white people, one to eight, but uh, also between the rich and the poor. The 1% is a reality. There's 1% of people walking around here who own just about everything, or at least uh, the 10% of their people own 90% of everything. It's, it's so upside down and so backward. And that part has very little to do with race. It has strictly to do with money and access at that point uh, because only a few black people only get to that level anyway. So that at that level, highly, highly, highly exclusive, even to white people, and it's an evil. And I think whenever, when, when I think the answer to reparations is when some white person, one of our white brothers, God bless them, stands up and says that they demand the reparations that are due to them. And the government will have to give it to them. And they're going to have to give it to them um, once they have to, have to give it to them because it's a white person demanding what they're rightfully do, And they are rightfully do it as well. When that white person does that, 
they're um, going to be forced to also reward the reparations due to all the black people who are due it also. So it really just takes, it's one of those situations where uh, white people, uh, no one um, oppresses white people. And I use the word oppressed instead of what my friend who told me this, who is white, um, he told me this, he used, he used the F word, but um, so I can't use that here, but what he said was no one Fs over, so no one oppresses white people like other white people. And I think once more white people realize that the anti-black hatred, the anti-trans distraction, the anti-gay nonsense, which a lot of them are gay who push that, a lot of them love black people who push that, a lot of them are trans, even though they don't have, may never manifest that in their dress and behavior and physically change, they all have that in their hearts who actually vocally hate it and speak out against it, but they actually secretly, secretly love it, chase it, and um, crave it and long for it. It's it's a, it's it's self-loathing, but that's a whole other thing. Don't want to get too distracted. Don't want to get distracted all, but. I, it comes to mind because they use the words here and notice again none of this is red letters they use the words heart and soul that they're of one heart and soul well now the heart is you know the heart wants what it wants so whether you want that piece of cake or you want that cigarette or, or whether you want know whether your mind knows that the cigarette the piece of cake whatever it is to go gambling and spend your, spend your last dollar because you think the lottery ticket is going to be a winner whatever it is whether you're Mind knows that it may or it may be a dangerous, bad thing for you to do, and the odds are against you that it is a good thing. Your heart still wants to do it, so your heart may want what it wants. So, in that sense, I think what they're saying is they're of one heart. They all want to do the right thing. Now, one soul, I don't, I can't accept that part because we all have our own souls. Um, so, so they said so they accept that they're all of one soul. You'd have to accept that they, they're all uh, essentially, and it wouldn't make sense to say that the heart and soul are the same thing. They're not. Um, so the soul, I believe, is what's traveling. It's what occupies our physical body. It's what moves on after the physical body is done in the afterlife and what we call a hereafter or what will, what will um, be exposed if we're alive when Jesus comes again. All my beliefs, just in my opinion, so I don't think the heart and soul are the same thing. Um, so for them to say that they're all of one soul, I wouldn't personally accept that as gospel truth, even though it's in the Bible, it's in the New Testament, and Christians are saying it. I'd suggest they keep you keep that. I'd suggest you keep that separate in your mind because it's not something Jesus said, but it's what the narrator is saying that everyone's united is the point of what I why I think they're saying it. Verse 33, and also it's communism, plain, I mean, plain English, it's communism. So people may bemoan and demean uh, communism, communism and socialism, the political idea, the social idea. Uh, but in reality, capitalism hasn't been any more successful. And in fact, the disciples are starting out with the communist um, organization. Verse 33, as a communist organization communally sharing everything in common that's basically what it means verse 33 and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the lord jesus and great grace was upon them all so the narrator said himself that disciples their ministry is going strong and they're united so far verse 34 nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who, who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. So literal communism, they're selling anything of value that they have, uh, discarding the monetary chasing. They're not chasing paper anymore. They're selling what they have that's valuable, sharing it, putting in one pot and all living off that in what we call in modern terms a commune. Um, uh, so it's not a politically communist society, it's a communal society. Verse 35, and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. So um, 
it's a thin line between a commune and a cult because in very recent history, um, there are things like the Jonestown Massacre. You can search that yourself. I'll try to remember to put it in the description box uh, and something else that we're about to get to, God willing, um, where people can get so convinced by their belief system that hundreds of people can be convinced to willingly kill themselves um, as a group. Um, but we've seen other examples of it also, even here in America, and it was mostly Americans who even did that, thinking that that's their way, their path to God. But in actuality, just believing what somebody told them instead of just seeing the truth for themselves. Um, but in this case, um, everyone voluntarily surrender, surrendering uh, all of their physical possessions, the value thereof, so that everyone has plenty and enough to make it and survive and focus on the higher things. Verse 36, and Joseph, who is also named Barnabas, by the apostles, which is translated sons of son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. So we're getting introduced to yet another new character named Joseph. Um, some Bibles may read Joseph, you know, depending on what version you're using. Again, I'm using the New King James Version. <clears throat> Excuse me, New King James Version, uh, just because for me it flows for easier usually. Um, um, so we have a new person, Joseph, who's joined, who has joined the disciples, um, and where he's from, Cyprus, same modern day Cyprus, um, sort of like a paradise in that area, or at least thought of, uh, usually in my mind, it comes, you know, when I've seen it in movies. Um, so that's where he's from. And verse 37, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So apparently he had plenty of money. Um, he had him a, a resort and he sold it and joined the commune. He's joined the disciples. He's um, sold what he had and joined them. And now he's a Christian also. Um, and that was also the last verse in this chapter. So that's what we're in this reading, but that's not what we're in. Um, I think what we're going to do now, so that we, again, not to abandon the gospel, um, we're going to review um, the, pick up where we left off in our sort of Sunday school. That's what I'll start calling, I think, the Sunday school. Um, our Sunday school lesson, lesson of Christianity, where we left off, and as we began the book of Matthew, um, just going over the passages there. Uh, passage by passage rather than verse by verse and chapter. I will go over it verse by verse, but instead we'll take it in passage chunks rather than chapters um, since we've already again gone over the Gospels at least three times with just the current platforms that I'm available on, not mentioning the ones that was bought from before. Um, so that's what we'll do, but before we do that, because uh, I think uh, since this lesson is well, this lesson's only 42 minutes, and that is just a briefing on those. So we'll still still do those. But before we move on, the thing um, I was going to mention is uh, the translations that we got to. So um, one of the ways I think, since there are so many different variations on what God's name is with the YHVH, then being what they call Romanized, um, to YHWH the same way uh, that sort of is easier to understand in the sense that if you think about the popular car the Volkswagen in English in America we pronounce it Volkswagen that's how it looks that's how the, we pronounce how it looks how it would be pronounced by the spelling but in other countries the same word Volkswagen the V is pronounced as a W and the W is pronounced as a V, not just in that word, but in lots of words. So instead of Volkswagen, it's pronounced Volkswagen. So that's an easier way to understand for me why it changed from YHVH to YHWH. And it still means and is pointing to the same person, same meaning, same thing. But um, to actually understand and to put a period on that, I hope, in my mind at least, 
to understand here also with these readings why we'll um, move on to um, what actual pronunciation of God's name is because like I said Jesus never actually used any name um, for God in the Gospels in the Bible that I have noticed so far other than just like the disciples just did they quoted the Old Testament and if you look it up in the Old Testament it that quote in that quote in that passage it may translate to one of those different YHVH variations of the pronunciate pronunciation of the name of God. Let me have a sip of water before I go on. That's a mouthful. Excuse me. So even though it has all those different variations, Jesus himself never actually used those that I noticed. Um, during his ministry in the Gospels, but uh, in the God in the Bible, when um, when uh, God spoke to Moses, at least according to the account, Moses plainly asked God, "What is your name? Who should I say sent me?" And God told him, "I am that I am," and He said, I, "Tell them I am sent you." And that's Exodus 3, 14. So um, now that I see how to use this whole translator tool to put a period on it, as far as what the Old Testament, as far as Moses hearing from God, if you're going to believe that's God who gave him the Ten Commandments and so forth, which I accept Jesus affirms the Ten Commandments in the Gospels as we've gone over, then this would be how... Uh, at least according to this, and I'm not even sure uh, Hebrew is the language that, Mo that Moses would have been speaking back then either. He may have been speaking some African language since that's where he was brought up in Egypt. And in fact, almost certain, certainly he was. But to put it in Hebrew, since that's how it's written here, um, at least the scribe here, how it was how it would have been pronounced the word or name i am since that's how it's pronounced um we'll read that i'll read the verse to you and then we'll hear the translation of how it's pronounced um now so let's see exodus 3 14. so exodus 3 14 and god said unto moses i am that i am and he said thus shalt thou say unto the children of israel i am hath sent me unto you so that's uh, the King James Version, not the New King James Version translation. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so and the answer to how do you say, uh, who shall I say, send me, what is your name? He says, tell them I am. So here's how you say I am in that language um, so that we'll hear it ourselves. Um, Strong's H, 1961. Hayah. Hiya. So hiya, hiya, like hiya, hiya. It's even spelled H-A-Y-A in English, and it has different, you know, letter uh, notations over it. Yachts and tittles, I think, is what they're called um, to actually write it. But hiya is how, at least, uh, it seems to be pronounced. That's how you say I am, and since that's who um, God says God's name is in the Old Testament. Haya. Now, how that translates into the YHVH, that I do not understand. But um, that's just, uh, I just thought that noteworthy and something I mentioned to you. So now back to um, the Gospels. As we wrap up this uh, reading, we've made it to Matthew um, chapter 3, I believe it is. Um, so to Oh, that's right, because we've gone over the things that hadn't made any red. We hadn't arrived to red letters yet, but we did go over basically the background of Jesus' genealogy. You know, I think the gospel is worth keeping in its own lane. So what we'll do is I'm going to call that Sunday School. You'll see that listed here on the channel, on the podcast. I'm here on Anchor. And that's where I'm originating it. And, you know, it's put out on other platforms. If you would like 
um, I don't know how you do it on the platform. If you like it or become a member or join it, however you do it. Um, if you want to do it that way, but um, if you want to do that, you'll see I'm gonna start calling those Sunday school. I think because they'll just be they'll be the shorter lessons. Um, they'll be the gospels. That way we can make sure we keep that clear at least for now. Um, and they'll um, just be passage by passage rather than chapter by chapter, but still verse by verse. And again, that's only because we've gone over all of the Gospels at least three times fully um, over the years already. So, and they're still available there. I'll include a link to that. Um, I'll try to remember to include a link to that also here um, in the description box here on Anchor. And again, just um, if you like it or whatever it is, become, join the become a member, I guess would be it. All this stuff is really, I'm not new. I just, I'm not good at the social part. I don't know. However you do it, like it, friend it, however you do it, share it, whatever it is that you do to get the notification to see it so that you'll know it, that it's still the same thing as far as the naked truth. But I'll, again, I'll probably call it this um, Sunday school so it'll be, um, because it's going to be shorter. It's going to be the passages rather than the whole chapters. And it'll be more topical because that's how it looks like the organizers of the Bible set it up to be. All that being said, that's where we'll end this reading. And we'll end it with the passage of the day. It's um the third one. And I'll try to, instead of just mentioning the passages, we'll, um, with the Sunday school reading, we'll mention the passage. I'll try to remember to do this, mention the passage. And what it means to me, how I understand it, how it's significant. So today's, this one's is, and again, I'll try to do this with the next one I'll go on to do after we finish this one, God willing. The, today's is a popular one, maybe the most famous one. And it's um, the third one. It's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved that's John 3 16 17 what it means to me we'll get into with our Sunday school reading as for right now thank you for reading along with me I hope the naked truth is a blessing for you and that you'll join me again I love you see you next time peace be with you